If you would, bow with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for uh, just understanding, clarity, uh, a conviction to, to, to be receptive towards it. Uh, we know that your spirit alone is our hope for transforming us, making things come alive, making the word come alive. And so we ask that there would be an understanding today, uh, deep within our hearts, that changes us. In Christ's name, amen. So we've been uh, in Amos for several weeks now, and uh, we have several weeks to go. But I think it's important just to, to, when you're thinking about it, understand that um, with Israel, when we're looking at this nation, God's chosen uh, nation, they had great privileges, as we've said, with great responsibility. And uh, sometimes people that have great privilege don't forget, I mean, they forget the responsibility that comes with it. If you have privilege, uh, it's followed that you would have responsibility. And certainly what should happen is, out of gratitude for the privilege, then the responsibility follow. Then Israel's privileges with them, instead of just kind of seeing that, being filled with gratitude and joy, they uh, took those privileges and they became more self-focused. They were self-centered and they thought about themselves. Everything centered around themselves. Every decision in life uh, as a result of like, for instance, I've heard people say this, the more at one point uh, in their life, maybe they were striving to get uh, somewhere in their life and then they're striving to keep it. You know, it's like they're climbing and climbing and climbing, and then their thoughts turn from trying to get to a certain place in life to trying to sustain that place in life, or even their children sustain it. And so everything then becomes redirected towards that. And so that's kind of what happens. The privileges come, then it's turned into like uh, the keeping of those. And that's kind of how Israel was. Israel, last week we said, is uh, Amos said he wrote a song and said you're dead you're dead you're dead and they were in their prime and they thought we're alive we're alive we're alive and uh, he comes to them and says no you're dead you don't understand and he says I don't want more religion I don't want all these things that you're doing what I want is for you to seek God and then the question becomes, like for us today, I think, is you're trying to think about uh, what does that mean to seek God? And he's going to explain many of those things today. So we should see it. So you say, these are privileged people who have responsibilities that they've kind of cast aside. They've taken all their privileges and they bless themselves. The prophet says, look, you've had all these privileges and blessings and you keep blessing yourself but God actually wants you to turn to him. And so either you, you, you and hope that the nation's going to be judged. Hopefully some of you will hear this and seek God and live. And then again, today, we're going to say, you know, kind of look into their situation, what they were thinking, and um, maybe further reveal what's wrong with them spiritually. And maybe today for you, it will help further reveal Areas where you may need to grow. Now, today the heart of this, I think, is, is you're looking at their confidence, their confidence in their relationship with God that kind of uh, 
caused issues in their life. So I want you to think about it in this way. My brother has done like local competitive fishing, which I've mentioned to you many times, uh, and then has moved around to different parts of the country and, and done some of that too. And he always would say uh, that, you know, you could have all the skills and all the equipment and know about where the fish would be or whatever, but if you lack confidence, uh, it, it will really kind of mess you up. A lot of people will say if you decide to sell something, a product, if you don't have confidence in the product, it's really hard for you to sell it. Um, sometimes you might, uh, if someone has like lacks confidence, uh, they might kind of shy back. And even though they might need someone's help, they're going to stay back because they lack confidence. Uh, if if there's something that uh, is out there that, that maybe you would try, but you're a little bit nervous about it because it's new, uh, and so you don't really want to that that new that step into a place you've never been before, uh, if that's kind of one of those things where you you're not used to like kind of stepping out into new endeavors, uh, a lot of times it's a result of a lack of confidence. So you might say, hey, confidence is a good thing in some areas of life. I'm trying to develop some, my kids to have some confidence in what they're doing or to try different things and move forward in certain areas. But in this case. These people were, what you would say, Israel was overconfident about their relationship with God, and they're really, like, cocky about it. Like, they're, they're kind of, they think so highly of their condition because they say, hey, look at all the privileges God gave us. Surely he really likes us. And that overconfidence is one of those things where you would say, it's a really bad deal. Now, here's the thing. It's not just overconfidence, but it was also what they took, they placed their confidence in. So some of you might say, well, I'm not overconfident about my relationship with God. But you also would look at it and say, but what are you really confident in? And, and, and when you're thinking about your relationship with God, you do have to kind of stop and consider, are, are the things that I think that God's going to be really pleased with are they actually not the things that God is pleased with at all? And that's kind of the issue with this today. And you say, is that a big deal? I would think it's a really big deal if you grew up in a, a religious environment and you're trying to think about what is pleasing to God? What does he desire of you? Uh, it's, it's of utmost importance because you could step, like you know, the way people talk about it, up to the pearly gates, almost like, smiling thinking that you're in a good place you could step up there one day and say oh yeah I'm in a good place I've got a long ledger that says I'm in a good place and find that you have no place at all that's frightening and so this is a really important deal and Amos I think is going to help us see that and understand that so at the heart of it not only were they overconfident but the things that they had thought that made them like in a good place with God were the wrong things because they had focused on the external like behaviors, the rituals that they were doing and not on the Lord at all. So you're going to see the feasts and the sacrifices and the rituals and all of that stuff that they thought really uh, made it better. Uh, they, 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 they were not better. And one of the things I think about it almost be like this, uh, if you were to, Say, let's say that uh, someone said, well, if we sing really well 
And so let's say there was a choir up there and someone said, you know what? God would really be pleased if y'all didn't hit that note that way. You know? And you're like, hmm, he would be. And so I bet he's going to be a lot prouder of October 31st, 2021. That's going to add some in the column for us because we all were singing perfectly today. And then you're like, is that really what God desires most for you? You know, and that's kind of what you kind of think about. And so that's what we're going to see because God is not like a parent that only cares about maybe, let's say, uh, what college you go to or your GPA or maybe like a coach that cares about how many RBIs that you had this year. God, God is not thinking in those terms. God's thinking about what you're doing and why you're doing it. What the motivation is for what you do. That's what God is really, he's looking into the heart. He's saying he wants the whole person to be right. He wants them to reflect his character. He wants you to live in a way where the balance sheet or the P&L statement or whatever, that, that may say one thing, but the issue is, of course, you have to ask, like, how did you get there? What were you doing it for? And so all those things kind of come, because there are a lot of people, again, a P&L statement, a balance sheet, or a, a something with a score, or, you know, you have all these lists, and it's great. Like, we, 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 think, we think those aren't all bad things. They're not all bad things. But if our hearts are not for the Lord and for others, and, and to bless the Lord and to bless others, we're in, a, we're in a bad place. And so I think it's important to understand that. Self-confidence is uh, really like great self-confidence with regard to your spiritual condition is probably self-deception. All right, so let's look at this text. Ready? 518 through 20. So the question might be, does your future hold what you believe it holds? That might be the big question for you. He says, woe to you, desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. Uh, th- this, is, this is a hard thing for us to kind of think about, listen to, because really they were saying uh, something like, singing like, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, you know, they're singing all those kind of revival. I don't know. They didn't have 19th century hymns, but maybe you have those. You grew up singing them. Everybody's smiling, you know, and uh, so they had their own hymns like that. And God says, like, you're singing those, but and you're singing about the day of the Lord. You're singing about the return of Christ. You're singing about being changed and transformed. But the reality is when that day comes, it's nobody's going to be smiling among you. Because that day that you think will be God rescuing the righteous and damning the wicked, you're going to be on the wrong side. You're not the righteous. You are the damned, and so it'll be a day of darkness and not light. Listen to this in Matthew 3, 9, and 10. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. John the Baptist dealt with the same thing as Amos. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What is he saying? 
the religious Pharisees who were scrupulous in their detail. And they did all the stuff. Man, they knew all the stuff. They did it well. They'd been doing it from childhood. They knew it all. They knew the words to the songs. They knew when things were supposed to be done. They were at every worship service. They tied every single thing that they had. Uh, they were like insanely detailed about it. They were great at judging everybody else outside. All of those things. And he said to them, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, he says, like you self-righteous pigs like don't you understand that the axe is raised and he's about to chop it all down and throw it into the fire that's what he says so oftentimes the people uh i mean like honestly you think about it the people that are uh most confident in their way and most confident in their place with god um are people that and, and really very good at saying that everybody else is wrong in the whole world kind of thing. Those people are the people that need to stop and consider and say, whoa, hold on just a second. Where are you really? Verse 19 and 20, well, he says, what will it be like for them? When they go on the run from God's judgment, they're gonna escape, they might escape here and might escape there, but ultimately uh, they will not outrun God's judgment in that day. They're going to run from a lion, see a bear, run from the bear, and set down the house like, oh, it's okay, and all of a sudden they'll be bit by a spider, I mean by a snake. And so all of that's kind of taking place. So you understand that. He's wanting them to see it is a day of darkness and not light for you. Okay, so here's the thing, just to think about it. If you, um, like, whatever you kind of think about with regard to, uh, let's say, a, 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 a process, when you think about what does it mean to be a Christian, well, you have to pray this prayer, you have to, uh, maybe you have to say, you would say you have to repent, you have to believe, uh, you might say you have to do, be baptized, you have to and you just go through this list, you say, I've got a three-step program that will ensure that you'll be in heaven one day. If that were the case, these people would be in heaven one day. Right? I, I've got a four-step program. I've got a five-step program for you. This will get you into heaven. Promise. It'll get you there. God owes it to you if you do this. Well, the problem is, is, is these people had done all those things. What, what was missing? They had done the external activity. They didn't care anything about God because God was not the issue there. Heaven was the issue. Escaping hell, going to heaven was the issue. God had nothing to do with it. Just give me the, a couple of steps and then I'll be okay and I'll never have to think about God again. It is because I've gotten my heaven stuff right. Does that make sense? And God's like, I can see into your heart. And even though you've done all the religious stuff, it doesn't mean you know God or you're for God or you're, you, you're, you, you really want Him. And if you don't want Him, He knows you don't want Him. If you don't really care about Him, He knows you don't really care about Him. He knows what's going on in you. He can see that. Now, are the things important? 
Are the feasts important? Are those activities important? Yes, God commanded them, but He knows why you do them. And if it's not for God, He knows that because you don't really love God. You're just loving yourself. Your religion could be a whole thing of loving yourself. I want good for myself. I want to make sure that I have, uh, I'm successful in whatever I do. I need to be, uh, make sure that God's happy with me. The gods in, in some of the ancient world are happy with me. Just because you believe in a one true and living God as revealed in Scripture does not mean that you love Him. And that's what Amos is saying. If your whole thing of religion is, I need to get to heaven, I need to make sure I'm blessed, and, and I, I get good things in this life, and I need to make sure that um, my kids are well, like in, good, in a good place, and that my wife is doing what she ought to do. If that's, if that's what your concept, really, basically, God is basically for you, uh, you, you kind of are saying like, look, I've done what you said to do, God. Now you give me what I deserve. God's kind of your, um, he, he, in a sense, he's your servant. You're not his. Does that make sense? Is that tough? It's hard in a world where you've grown up thinking that I'll do this. God's force, you force God's hand. He's going to do now what I want him to do. Now, so confidence in the wrong thing is a really dangerous thing because your future that you think is going to be so bright may be very dark. Now, look at the sec verses 21 to 25. Is your worship of the Lord truly worship? Is it truly worship? Look at verse 21. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. What is he saying? God commanded those feasts. God commanded them. Just as, as God would say, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I've commanded. God commanded that. God commanded the feast. That was part of being a part of his people. God commanded that. And so there were the feasts of the unleavened bread, of the harvest, of the ingathering. Those were all feasts. The unleavened bread commemorated Passover. The harvest was 50 days after the seventh Sabbath. It was celebrated seven weeks after Passover. It commemorated God's provision for another year and His covenant faithfulness. The feast of ingatherings or booths or tabernacles. Uh, it, it, it dealt with the issue of God's protection and provision over Israel uh, while they were in the wilderness. His guidance and protection are all kind of symbolized there. All of this is tied to God's gracious covenant of saving his people. What they symbolized and the reality in Israel were quite different because Israel had broken covenant. They did not embody what it meant to walk with God, even though they were doing all the external, uh, external rituals. That's why God would say, I don't like what you're doing, or verse 21, stronger. I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. 
Verse 22, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. So God had these feasts every year and there were these sacrifices. There were burnt offerings, grain offerings, and peace offerings. All of those things, God does not delight in them. The burnt offering, some would say, the best way to say that is it symbolized total devotion to God. But they were not devoted to God. Again, their religion was about devotion to themselves. Their religion was about a devotion to themselves. What they cared most about were themselves, and as a result, their religion, everything that they did with the eye towards God was for themselves. Grain offerings. It was to kind of ensure a good relationship with God, and it was really kind of a reminder of that, and so in their mind, maybe even to appease God. The peace offerings, would. there was a way of doing that where it was almost like both peace with God and peace with one another that it symbolized, and so in, in both cases, uh, or all three cases, you're seeing this, that they have taken it for themselves, not for God. Okay, so, one author wrote, Contrary to what the burnt offerings symbolized, the people were far from being totally devoted to the Lord. Most likely, the people offered their grain offerings in order to ensure what they believed to be ongoing good relationships with the Lord. Even if they did say their grain offerings were to appease God, there was no true repentance that accompanied their sacrifices. Furthermore, their persistent unfaithfulness to their covenant with the Lord demonstrated the people had no union with the Lord, nor did they truly desire Him. They had no peace with God and they had no fellowship with their impoverished neighbors. Their sacrifices were all a sham, meaningless. Therefore, they were all unacceptable to the Lord. So, I mean, and it is, I think it's just, this is like, uh, Amos is a lot of sobering stuff, but it is just saying like, listen, you can have religion, you can do all the religious practices, you can do all of those things and do them uh, to where somebody would clap their hands and be like, man, I think you're doing great. But not actually be doing it with a heart towards the Lord or a, a heart for your neighbor. Verse 23 Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. So here's the thing. Why were they singing? Why were they singing? Well, I mean, they could be singing like, and they did a lot of corporate singing. Why were they singing? They were supposed to sing. They had always, they were always singing. They had a whole psalter of songs to sing. They were a singing people. Sometimes they would just sing with their voices. Sometimes you would have individual singers that would kind of lead out in things. Sometimes it was a corporate singing. Sometimes it was corporate singing and instrument and all instruments and all of those things. You have these different things. Sometimes it was just instruments. But all of that stuff, all of those things, they were doing all that. And God said, like, I will not listen to your songs. I mean, it's crazy. You think, what? I thought any time that we would come and sing songs to God, He would be pleased. Oh, He's so pleased. He think what you know? Y'all might be pleased. You know that's kind of what Amos said. You might be pleased, 
But God is not pleased. Y'all may, you may get up there and think like, and everybody claps and everybody's so excited. Didn't they sing good today? Didn't we sing good today? Don't we sound so good together? We're getting so much better at singing together. I love singing. But he's saying again, the heart, the heart of the one singing is more important to God. What we say in worship, what we sing in worship, what we preach in worship, what we practice in worship should have a direct correlation with how our hearts and lives express worship. Verse 24 and 25. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? What he's saying, you didn't, you didn't. And so it's just important to know that. But what's he saying in verse 24? We found out along the way that Israel was really good at doing, keeping the worship practices steady. But where they struggled was, was um, the, the, the wealthy were oppressing the poor and the powerful were silencing the righteous. Th- those were the two things. So they were really good at going to church, really good at singing at church, really good at offering sacrifices. They did all those things, but the thing that they were not good at was the very thing that God says this is at the heart of what it means to be a person that follows God you will look like God. You will act like God. You will pursue the things of God. You will love God and love your neighbor. You will never disconnect that. What it means to be like God is that righteousness is flowing down and justice is flowing down. What he's saying is, you are to be like God. Not to be an actor, not to to be good at like doing all these things that are so easy for you to do, not that you can just say like, hey, it's real easy for me to show up to worship, give my money, and and go on. He's saying like, whoa, hold on just a second. Those things were just to help remind you of what it, those were tangible ways to remind you that you are to live for God. They're helping stir your heart towards the things of God. But if you start finding in those things that you think that those are what make your standing with God right, you've missed it. Because what he's saying here is that the way, and, and, and really here's the thing, the way you treat your neighbor is not disconnected with your relationship with God. Like how you look at other people and treat other people and speak to other people and bless or not bless other people is directly tied, much, much closer tied to how, where you are with God than whether or not you come to church. And I, well, again, I'm not saying that God would command them to do those feasts, but what he's trying to say to this group of people, that if, if, if you're not living by this ethic of loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, 
like all this other stuff becomes a sham. Think about that. Loving your neighbor as yourself. When is the last time you even thought about, when you're making a decision, when is the last time you ever thought about your neighbor? And like, who is your neighbor? Is it just the people like 50 yards away from you? By your house? Who is your neighbor? And so in this context, I think he's just saying like, think about those people. Think about how you treat others. Think about those around you that you have influence over or maybe power over. Think about them. When you look at them, when you think about them, think about the way you think about the truth of God. Think about what you think about His character. When you think about your dealings in life, does His character come forth? Are you becoming more like God? Are you longing more for God? Are you seeking after God? Because what you want is God's ways to permeate this earth. You say, yeah, but what if I'm dealing with really bad people? What if I'm dealing with sorry people? That's not the question. The question is, is am I really saying like with the heart of God towards others, do I see that coming out of my life? Is it flowing out like a river? Is it, there's this longing to serve God and worship God and then for people to treat, be treated rightly and good? And, and am I thinking about them as much as I'm thinking about myself? Am I, do I really want God's ways to dominate? God is less, there is a lesser kind of thing to say, like, God would say, like, if you're not, and he's, the scripture says this, you know, go make yourself right with your brother before you bring your offering. Do that first, the, the weightier things. What, what it means to genuinely love like God is to put others above yourself and to lay yourself down and to think of them and to think of ways that you can bless them and the greater your influence the greater the the accountability you have to do that the greater your resources the greater your power the greater whatever when you have more it is not so you can indulge yourself but because you have a stewardship now and as that stewardship increases to that extent, it should increase. You could say, I want to be like God. I want to look like God. God has all the resources of the whole universe at His disposal. And what does He do? He gives and He offers and He serves and He loves and He cares for. That's what it should look like. But if it always turns inward, then you say, like, what's going on here? David understood this. Listen to Psalm 51. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. What is he saying? David had like sinned with Bathsheba. He understood that, and so he didn't say, Oh, you know what? I sinned with Bathsheba. I'm going to go fake it from now on the rest of my life. What he says is what God desires is he is heartbroken over his sin and in turn he goes to the Lord with a heartbroken heart and he, he, he seeks the Lord truly. He confesses his sins so that then, Psalm fifty-one nineteen, then you will delight in right sacrifices in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered 
on your altar. He, it's just important to understand God does not want the external appearance of a commitment to Him or a commitment to others. God wants internally you to be committed to Him and He wants you internally to be committed to others. So if you're like overconfident in the activities surrounding what you consider to be the steps to being right with God in a very easy way, if you're overconfident in those things, God is saying to us this morning, stop just a moment, do you love me? And if you love me, you will love your brother. Like, that's at the heart of what it means to know me, walk with me, trust in me, follow me. Now, the last thing you kind of think about in this is, is the Lord truly your Lord? Verse 26 and 27, you shall take up. Now, this is interesting. He is going to mention uh, the, well, the two, you, you have like Sikuth, I think is how you say it, your king, and Kayun, your star god, your images that you made for yourself. He's going to say, um, what you need to do is just pick up all your gods and run away with them into exile. Because that's where you're going. And so, the last little bit, just trying to put that together they, the, when you think about those two, one is identified with the Babylonian kind of name for Saturn, the Assyrian god of war. The other one is the Assyrian name for Saturn. So this kind of represents their power. These gods are a reflection of what they want because they made them, notice what it says, for yourselves. Say like, listen, if you want to make a god for yourself that is managed by you, that you have like uh, kind of like the, the guidelines for being making him happy and that you can kind of run your life centered around kind of doing that. If you want that kind of thing, guess what you'll get? You get to pick all those up, carry you and your gods off into exile. That's what he lays out before them. <clears throat> Just a couple of things about that. When you think about false gods, they are made in man's image. Christopher Wright says, At the root, then, of all idolatry is human rejection of the godness of God and the finality of God's moral authority. The fruit of that basic rebellion is to be seen in many other ways in which idolatry blurs the distinction between God and creation to the detriment of both. Idolatry dethrones God and enthrones, uh, enthrones creation. Idolatry is the attempt to limit, reduce, and control God by refusing his authority, constraining or manipulating his power to act, having him available to serve our self-interest, a great reversal happens. God, who should be worshipped, becomes an object to be used. Creation, which is for our use and blessing, becomes the object of our worship. It's crazy, like when you look at all the gods of the world, you will find that each one of them Whatever humans want. They want this, they want that, they want this other thing. What humans want, they create a God for, and then they set the parameters about what makes him happy, and then they do that, and they think that they're okay. So for many people, in many places, 
at many times they have sought to worship God in this way. And God says, I will not be worshipped in this way. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 27. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The Lord knows why you claim to have a relationship with him, and he knows whether you're genuinely seeking him. That's the heart of this thing. He knows that if you've like turned him into a couple of lists that you can check off and say, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Or whether or not you truly want him for him. And whether or not you truly love his people. And whether or not you really want to serve others. And all those things, God knows whose hearts have been changed by the Holy Spirit. God knows what is going on within you. Jesus came to rescue us from our sins. He came to redeem us, to save us, and rescue us. And not only that, He came to empower us. He said to His disciples, I will send My Spirit to work in you so that you would be a people that would love God with your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that's just important. We have to keep stopping and considering for ourselves, Lord, let us see where we truly are. We don't want to be externally religious and inwardly dead to God. Because one day He will look and see and He understands where where we truly are. And we want to ask for I mean, we, we should regularly pray, Lord, let me see. I don't want to be a person who is religious and has it all kind of figured out in my head and, and, and really, really just wants God for, not for God, but for what God's going to give me. I want to be a faithful person to the Lord. I want to love Him, love God for God. I want to love Him because He is great and He is beautiful and He is right. And I want to love my neighbor as myself. And I want to do that in the power that He provides. I want to do that by confessing my sins, trusting Christ, walking in the power of the Spirit, living with gratitude in my heart to serve God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that You would give us an understanding of our standing before You, that we would understand what it means to truly walk with You, that we would see what it means to live with the new birth the, 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 with the Spirit living in us, trusting in the sacrifice of Christ and longing to serve others. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us see it. Help us see our condition presently. Help us trust in the one who alone can save us, not so that just so that we would get to heaven, so that we would get to closer to you. We pray we would love you, really, 
from the heart that we would deeply desire to do what is right and good for your glory and for the good of others. In Christ's name, amen. If you would stand with me at this time.